This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe today. Off Scripts Time Capsule. Rating and ranking the years that have shaped us. I'm Robbie Greenfield and alongside me is Chris McCarty and Sona Rapani. Working our way through the years, we'll highlight world events, cultural achievements and the stories that have been forgotten. Let's start with some big world events and landmarks. When a veteran television and film producer director called James Brooks was working on a popular US primetime show, The Tracy Ullman Show, he asked LA-based cartoonist Matt Groening if he would like to animate a Life in Hell cartoon as short clips between commercials and Tracy Ullman's comedy skits. So Groening was waiting in a lobby. He was waiting to pitch a series idea to Fox uh, Network. And he suddenly, it dawned on him that if he gave the Ullman show his Life in Hell characters, he'd lose the rights to his life's work, which he'd been uh, preparing, which would, of course, later become The Simpsons. So on the spot, while waiting in a lobby, he created some new characters, wrote a few impromptu storylines and pitched the idea to the Fox network. Now, The Simpsons would, would ultimately debut on The Tracy Ullman Show before taking wings on its own. And it would go on to become the longest-running animated television series and longest-running scripted primetime TV show in U.S. history. Back graining, by the way, is worth $600 million, courtesy of The Simpsons and Futurama. The franchise itself is worth almost a billion dollars. Here's a clip from The Simpsons' 1987 pilot. It's entitled Good Night. Um, Dad? Yeah? What is the mind? Is it just a system of impulses, or is it something tangible? Relax. What is mind? No matter. What is matter? Never mind. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Good night, son. It was pretty, pretty basic, wasn't it? Rudimentary is the word for the yeah. early Simpsons. I mean, Homer's voice. That was voice. a different Homer, wasn't it? Or was it yeah. the same, same actor? Same voice actor. Really? Same voice actor. Just not developed yet, because Bart mean. sounds almost exactly the same. Yeah, Bart is voiced by a female. Yes. Correct. Um, yeah. Homer, so Dan, Dan Castanello, I think yes, his name is. that's right. He voices, like I didn't realise this, but he voices like 20 characters on yeah. The Simpsons. A He's a very talented do. voice artist. And then the fellow who plays David in, the, in Friends, who goes off to Belarus... He is also we're back on friends. Oh, again. Hank Azaria! Hank I was wondering Azaria. who you were talking Hank Azaria, about. Hank Azaria, yeah. he's he, yeah. I think he's Mo, and he's he's got a number. Yeah, uh, uh, a poo as well as from yeah. him. So The Simpsons was born in 1987, so the year's off to a decent start. Now, I know I always bang on about the Great British Storms of 1987. (laughs) Do you? Do you? Only Robert remembers Big memory in my childhood. I was six years of age, and trees were blown across the road. It was a crazy time in the UK. I've got to tell you this, because winds gusted of over 100 miles an hour, massive devastation across the country, 15 million trees were blown down during these storms. Who was well, I don't know, but someone did. And listen, I want to play you a clip from the infamous weather forecaster, Michael <laughs> Fish. This was his original forecast the night before the great storm on the 14th of October. <laughs> what has this become? Good afternoon to you. Earlier on today, apparently, a woman rang the BBC and said she heard that there was a hurricane on the way. Well, if you're watching, don't worry, there isn't. <laughs> Uh, now, of course, there was a storm, not a hurricane, but the aftermath of that was that Michael Fish drew a tremendous amount of criticism for basically downplaying the the severity of the weather forecast. Years later, he was asked to clear up that very famous little forecast. Well, for a start, the the hurricane, we're talking no hurricanes in this country. It's just simply impossible. Touch wood. 
Sticking to facts there. There you go. There's Michael. Um, now, the winds were equivocal of a hurricane. Yeah. And it was a very important... If you, I'll tell you what, if you Google 1987, the Great British Storm will pop up. <laughs> so don't have a go at me for mentioning it. <laughs> oh, please, childhood. Guys. Forget World yeah. Cups. No, forget listen. special sports <laughs> moments. It's the Great right. Storms of 1987. I'm enjoying this. I've never okay. heard of this before. All right. We will get on to music in, uh, in the next segment of this particular feature. But I did stumble across a story that simply demands to be included in this uh, time capsule. It involves Bernie Sanders, okay? In 1987, his political career was just getting started. He was the mayor of Burlington, Vermont, Mm -hmm. and he was a music lover. He was ready to make his mark on Burlington, which was stuck in a bit of a time warp. So he was inspired by the 1985 Michael Jackson song, We Are the World, okay? And he was inspired to do something very similar. The difference being that Michael Jackson had assembled a bunch of global megastars to come together. I think we talked about this with Band Aid as well. Mm. It was fashionable in the 80s to do this. And um, Bernie managed to rally up a few kind of musicians, jobbing musicians in Vermont for his particular song. So what I wanted to do, I've clipped up Bernie's. I want to play MJ's first so we get a, a yardstick. Let's listen to We Are The World by Michael Jackson. Okay, so that's MJ. Okay, so that's MJ. Now, how does Bernie Sanders' effort compare? Because Bernie wrote an album, and this is the song We Shall Overcome, based on MJ's We Are the World. As I went walking that ribbon of highway, I saw above me that endless skyway. <laughs> I saw below me that golden valley. This land was made for you and me. This land is your land. This land is my land. From California to the New York Island. From the Midland Forest. Definitely gets better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely I quite, gets I quite better. enjoyed Bernie's solo verse. I enjoy the fact there's no attempt at singing any notes. <laughs> He's just shouting into a microphone. Uh, but do we prefer Bernie or MJ in that? I'll take Bernie. Yeah, I think so. I'm going to give that one to Bernie for wow. sure. Did not expect. I do that. love old clips of Bernie Sanders, where I think the Daily Show did this when all of the Democratic candidates were up, and they did like little focuses on each of them, and you see all of these old clips of Bernie Sanders from 30 years ago, where he's exactly the same as he is today. So it's it's always fun to see old Bernie clips. Before we get to movies, I do want to talk about WrestleMania three, <laughs> because it was the very zenith of yeah. the 1980s wrestling boom. 93,171 fans crammed into Michigan's Pontiac Silverdome for Hulk Hogan's title match against Andre the Giant. Over one million fans descended on about 160 closed-circuit locations across America. It's considered to be one of the greatest uh, events in the history of professional wrestling. It set records for viewership, pay-per-view buys. Let's take a a listen to how that title match went down. That's the first time I think that the Giant's ever been knocked off his feet like that. Look at the look on the face of the champion. The greatest professional athlete in the world today. Look at this. He's landed. I don't believe it. Again, he's popped 93,000 fans. Takes you back. Andre the Giant. And actually, I watched the clip. Hulk 
lifts him up oh, on yeah, his shoulders. That's why wow. it was, it weighed about 500 pounds. That's why the whole stadium oh, just, it was just erupted. Yeah. yeah, it was incredible theatre. It was um, unbelievable. So Hulk Hogan, if you're interested, went on to win <laughs> that particular match. We've got to get on to movies, though, because the highest grossing movie of the year, it took $160 million at the box office, was Three Men oh, and a Baby. Great movie. Tom Selleck, Ted Danson, etc. Uh, but it was a year full of very violent cinema, it's got to be said, because Arnie Schwarzenegger, he was back on top form with the sci-fi action classic Predator. Take a listen. Run! Go! Get to the chopper! What a movie that is, by the way. What a movie that it's is. It's a brilliant film. I love it. Sonal hasn't seen it. We Less you said about that, the better. to watch Predator. Yeah, she's, she's not into it. Not into Second, it. Very disappointing. Dutch. That's Dutch there, by the way. He plays Dutch. <laughs> you did. You watched the first was two that, minutes. Was like, that no. as much as the most of his dialogue in that whole, whole film? Oh, there's a bit more. Oh, there were a... no Shakespearean soliloquies <laughs> from Dutch. Absolutely it was all, not. All quite, uh, all quite sort of clipped, hey, it's man, fair to say. You're bleeding. Ain't got that. That's another very famous quote from that particular movie. Um, Stanley Kubrick's war movie, uh, Full Metal Jacket, the war movie on Vietnam. It became a classic of the genre. Sergeant Gunnery Hartman stole the show as the sadistic drill sergeant training the, the men for combat. And I dug out a clip that the, the man that played him, Arlie Ermey, recalls here how he knew how to act the part of Hartman. Drill instructor is an actor. Uh, nobody's that nasty. Could you imagine turning... Gunnery Sergeant Hartman loose on the public. It wouldn't work, would it? It was not condoned by the United States Marine Corps. Physical nor verbal abuse was is, is not now and was not then condoned by the Marine Corps, but it's like the speed limit in the United States. I don't know what it is here, but it's 65 miles an hour. When I'm driving 65 miles an hour, I got cars whizzing past me, and, but it's the individual, it's certainly not the state. Forgive me if I'm wrong. R. Lee Ermey, he's also the guy that features in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. He might well be, and yeah. he is frightening. Yeah, he's a brilliant, he the young, ferocious actor. The patriarch of the family, I believe it is. Other remember, movies... That, that movie really sticks in my brain for some Full reason. Full Metal Jacket. Full Metal Jacket. It's a very harrowing film. Uh, Robocop, oh. of course, centres on police officer Alex Murphy. He's murdered by a gang of criminals, and he is subsequently b- revived by mega-corporation omni-consumer products as the cyborg law enforcer Robocop. Yeah. I know you love this film. Oh, this is, I dug out this clip. This is a line delivered after a malfunction occurs during a demonstration of the enforcement droid, which results in the shooting of one of omni-consumer products' employees. Dick, I'm very disappointed. I'm sure it's only a glitch. Temporary setback. You call this a glitch? What a movie that is. I watched that and it is an extremely violent movie. I watched that. I was far too young when I think back to watching Robocop. But dead or alive, you're coming with me. What a movie Robocop is. But yes, not for the faint-hearted. The Untouchables United, Sean Connery and Kevin Costner, Elliot Ness. Uh, They attempted to bring down Al Capone, played by Robert De Niro. What are you prepared to do? Everything within the law. And then what are you prepared to do? Want to get Capone? Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. And that's how you get Capone. 
Sean Connery. The voice of Connery there. <laughs> Love it. Uh, one of the best we've saved till last, Spaceballs, <laughs> written by yeah. Mel Brooks. It starred Brooks himself, Bill Pullman, John Candy, and a brilliant performance by Rick Moranis, who played uh, Dark Helmet. Um, <laughs> yeah. Now, the loose plot was that Planet Spaceball, which was led by the incompetent President Scrooge, had squandered all of its fresh air and it was a complete spoof of the Star Wars and Star Trek franchises. Take a listen to this. This is Rick Moranis as Dark Helmet in his shameless rip-off of Darth Vader. Lord Helmet, what? You need it on the bridge, sir. Knock on my door. Knock next time. Yes, sir. Did you see anything? No, sir. I didn't see you playing with your dolls again. Good. <laughs> Such a good movie. Uh, it's Love funny. That one. I can watch that again easily. And in TV, Johnny Depp, he made an appearance in 21 Jump Street, and the animated Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles began their nine year run. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Teenage Mutant <laughs> Still for me, Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles. Don't like Ninja. It's always Hero for yeah. me growing up. Yeah. yeah, but Ninja, that's why they wore the face masks, the eye masks. Yeah, but remember, I think we spoke Tied about this a while back. back. They, they banned the word Ninja from appearing in the UK. Oh, I didn't so realize that. So they it. changed out Ninja to Hero. Okay. So it was Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles for me growing up. Yeah. And then Heroes in a Half Shell, as it said there. Yeah. I always thought growing up it was House Shell. <laughs> they live in their house, though. Uh, yeah. Cute. That caused an embarrassment. Very cute. It was only a couple of years ago that I realised that it wasn't <laughs> actually that, in actual fact. Just right a little then. bit earlier this year on this show, probably. Movie and uh, TV, very strong, Robert. Yeah. Pretty strong. We've got music next. Yeah. It's fair to say it's not been an illuminating decade. For us, not at least. Fan. For our, our musical tastes. And I'm wondering whether 1987 can improve on that. Let's take a listen. <laughs> This is horrendous. Is that, I can get on board yeah. with that. No, this song reminds me of my childhood yeah. more than that song. I can get on board with that I was that not song. expecting that in 1987, Los Lobos, La Bamba. <laughs> I can get on board. Um, at least it makes a change from a power ballad. But yeah. the power ballads were still going strong this year. This by Starship was a monster hit. Where does sure. that rank on your power ballad rating, Son? That is probably my number one 80s power ballad. Really? It's one of Whoa. my faves. It's one wow. of my faves. Better than Kenny Loggins and Top Gun? No. Yeah, we need that. When did that come out? I think that was 85. I oh, think we've already done that one. Danger Zone. We've already yeah. done that. Danger Zone. <laughs> it's past oh. you by. That, that's not really a ballad, is it, Danger Zone? No, but there, was, there was a Top Gun ballad, I remember. <laughs> and I can't remember now what the, what the song back. was. Um, Whitney, she had a huge year. With hits like uh, Whitney Houston, this is Didn't We Almost Have It All and So Emotional. Rick Astley had He's, a big monster yeah. hit. Should we have a little, a little ta a taster? A, a double, a okay, Rick taster. There's a Rick taster. And I would urge anyone, by the way, if you've ever got a spare moment. Seriously, look this video up on YouTube. It is one of the most scandalous 80s music videos I've ever seen in my life. Why? Rick Astley dancing in a, in a sort of moonlit underground tunnel, wearing a trench coat. He looks like a man who should be arrested, <laughs> not making a music video. Um, uh, now Take the, My Breath Away is the ballad you were thinking about from Top Gun. Ah, uh, yes, that's the one. With, so with that, it wasn't Danger Zone. 
No. It's a Wayne's Danger Zone coming in. <laughs> I think it's all they were all they were all out in Top Gun, wasn't it? Nineteen eighty five was Top Gun, wasn't it? Oh yeah, it was. Um, now with the release of the very popular movie Dirty Dancing, Ooh, this track became yes. one of the year's biggest albums. Because Said it before and I'll say it again, no one puts baby in the corner. <laughs> What? <laughs> You've never seen the You're movie? Clearly not. No. Oh, come on. No one puts baby in the corner, Rob. I've never seen the film. I've got no interest in Dirty Dancing. I think you should fix that. Oh, Rob. Listen, tonight. if you're going to make me watch Predator in Commando... You're not going to watch it. Right, fine. I'll make you, you a deal. You okay. watch Predator in full and I'll watch Dirty Dancing. Done. Patrick Sweezy. Deal. Finest. Maybe after Ghost. You know, it's no secret that we don't love our 80s songs so much between I'm the three it. of us, but this particular year, this year's it's gone, a little oh, bit more stand-up than the previous oh, ones correct. we've done for music. All of these tracks that we've just played, they were left in the dust when it came to record sales by this. Walk like an Egyptian. So, I'm liking 87, Rob. I'm liking it. Yeah? Yeah, there's something... There's something you can get on something board Something about 1987. Yeah. Was, Rob. I mean, in a sea of not-so-great power ballads of the 80s, I feel like 87 yeah. is actually all right. Yeah, and, and the power ballads in 85, which is our leading contender year so far, mm-hmm. were actually quite quite average. They were quite poor, I think. Yeah, thought. they really brought 85 down, they? brought it because 85, aside from that, out with that, was a very strong year. But uh, let's get on to sport. It was the inaugural staging of the Rugby World Cup, which I think counts for something. Mm-hmm. I think counts for quite a lot. Um, it was hosted by Australia and New Zealand, and there were seven traditional international rugby football members and they were far, far stronger than the other teams that made up the tournament. So actually, half of the 24 matches across the four pools saw one team score 40 points or more. New Zealand, absolutely rampant. These were the All Blacks, or a very uh, a, an early incarnation of them, but they were world-class. Okay, I mean, right. they were by far the superior team. They actually beat France 29-9 in the final at Eden Park in Auckland. And it was captained by David Kirk, such rugby greats as Sean Fitzpatrick, John Kerwin, Grant Fox and Michael Jones. And here's the scrum half, David Kirk, recalling the memory of scoring the decisive try in the final. The moment that I went over the line, I had this wonderful feeling. And I remember banging my fist on the ground thinking, unbelievable, we're the world champions. Now, I remember I was actually on a press trip in Dublin in ooh, 2005 or six, And I happened to bump into these two Kiwi gentlemen yeah. In a it's pub, the well-known story. first night, and got chatting to them. It was during the two thousand. Sorry, it must have been during the two thousand and seven Rugby World Cup. Yeah. Hence the reason why they were on this press trip. It was actually a golf press trip, and um, they were very keen golfers. Got chatting with them. I knew they were kind of ex-sportsmen. Wasn't sure. I knew they were working at the Rugby World Cup. Wasn't quite sure. Couldn't really place them. And I was kind of spouting nonsense <laughs> about being an expert on rugby, which I'm definitely oh, not. No. And uh, you know, you, that's you, so unlike you. No, I'm, I you know, know, you know what I'm like. No, I was just I was opining on things. I was yeah. sort of I was being a bit of a know trying to be a know it all. Um, anyway, uh, I sort of finally got round to asking one of them. I was like, "So, did you ever play yourself?" He's like, "Yeah, mate. I played a little bit of rugby. Yeah, I played a bit of rugby." I'm like, "Oh, okay." And then suddenly the penny was dropping. I'm like, "Who am I talking to here?" And I said, "You played for the you played for for the All Blacks." He goes, "Yeah, mate. I did actually. Yeah, I played for the All Blacks. In fact, uh, I'm still the all-time record scorer <laughs> in a World Cup." which I'm pretty pleased about. And it was, it was Grant Fox and Alan Wheaton, a man who scored a try in the final, was alongside him. And these guys were telling me that uh, once they'd won the World Cup, 
it was back to work. It yeah. was, it was, you know, that was done. So a lot of them, a lot of them were truck drivers or farmers, or they did like kind of manual yeah. labour in in various parts of New Zealand, and they were off back to work the very next day. This was well predating the the, the era of professional yeah. rugby, and it was just like you know, and they weren't, you know, nowadays rugby players are man mountains. Grant Fox, quite diminutive, about five nine. Alan Wheaton, who was a lock. He, was, he would have been about 6'1", 6'2". So, you know, it was a different game back then. Oh, absolutely. But, uh, but yeah, both, both of those two legends, who I didn't recognise, were, uh, <laughs> were part of the All Blacks um, winning That's team true. for the 1987. I would have paid a lot of money to see your face when Grant Fox Oh, I was so embarrassed. I was so embarrassed. Did you guys have a laugh about it, though? We, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And they were very good golfers as well, it has to be said. So, obviously, good sportsmen all, all around. Elsewhere in 1987, basketball, Michael Jordan... Chicago Bulls, he scored 37.1 points per game. It was the highest average in the NBA since the 1962-63 season. And he actually held the top scoring average until 1993, although the Bulls wouldn't win the first of their six titles until 1991. Um, Mike Tyson reached his peak in 1987, arguably, his career record 32-0. and He unified the heavyweight crown for the first time since 1978. He knocked out Tony Tucker in that run. He also beat Larry Holmes, Tyrell Biggs. And then the following year, he would knock out Michael Spinks in the first round. And that particular run was considered to be the very best of Mike Tyson in the ring. In tennis, Ivan Lendl won the French and US Opens to sort of stamp um, his authority on the, the world number one ranking. He did lose the Wimbledon final to Pat Cash. Pat Cash becoming the first player to clamber up into the raw box yes, come the did. end of yeah, that win. Uh, Steffi Graf, she was very um, on the top of her game in the, in the ladies' game. She won a classic French Open against Martina Navratilova, 6-4-4-6-8-6. Navratilova got her revenge in the Wimbledon final a couple of uh, weeks later, winning that match in straight sets. Um, Nelson Piquet won his third F1 title. This was the year before Ayrton Senna's first. And uh, I don't know whether you guys who love your golf will remember the infamous chip-in in the playoff by Larry Mize Larry at the Mize. Masters, uh, a journeyman pro who broke the heart of Greg Norman, not for the first time at August- Augusta National, in a playoff, improbably chipping in from off the green on the 11th. It was Nick Faldo who won the Open Championship. Mm. And um, Everton, Everton won the, the league 1987. FC Porto, memory serves FC Porto beat Bayern Munich yeah. 2 1 in the European yeah, Cup. It was an Algerian that scored in that final. Rabba Major was one of the scorers for FC Porto over in Vienna, I believe it was. Yeah. Wayne Gretzky won his seventh straight NHL scoring title for the Edmonton Oilers. He also won the Stanley Cup. So I need a ranking for the year, guys. I think the sport lights it down. Mm, I was thinking the same. I was going for a solid eight and a half before. I mean, the World Cup, and I'm not scoffing the Rugby World Cup, it's not a, not a vintage year outside of that Rugby no, World Cup, in all no. honesty. So that brings it down. I am going to give 1987 seven and a half. I was going to do the same. So that's two seven, seven and, and a half, half from us. You Maria's gone four. Uh, Maria's, Maria's gone, gone four. I, I was going to give it a seven, actually. Okay. Off Scripts Time Capsule. Rating and ranking the years that have shaped us. Thank you for listening to The Time Capsule. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate it, and please do, if you've got a moment, give us a review. This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe today.